Hello and welcome to this episode of Here Birdie Birdie Birdie. Spring is sprung here in Arizona as announced by the arrival of the Lucy's Warblers back in the Tucson area this week. And in this episode, I'm going to tell you about what I've been doing and then I'm going to do a deep dive into a very special little bird. everyone and happy spring to you. I love March, don't you? I think it's got the most minor holidays of any month. There's Pi Day and then the next day is the Ides of March and then two days later it's St. Patty's Day of course. There's always spring break and college basketball if you're into that. But really it's about migration and mating at this time of year. Are the house finches going crazy where you are? It's insane here in Tucson. Over the past couple weeks, I've been trying to go outside more and more. It really helps reduce stress if you're worried about the craziness in the world or stressed at work. And I've been both worried about our world and stressed because I took on way too much work this spring. All the better to upgrade my binoculars, my dear. Before we start, I just want you to know that you can find the episodes of Here Birdie 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 podcast on the Illbird Press website. It's run by my friend in birding, David Jerkowitz, a fantastic birder and photographer. The images he has of birds are just gorgeous. So check out his website at illbirdpress.com. That's I-L-L-B-I-R-D-P-R-E-S-S.com. Anyway, the nicer and mostly warmer weather has me outside and watching the birds. In mid-February, my friends Deb and Tony from Jacksonville traveled through Tucson on their way to California. We spent almost two weeks of birding southeast Arizona and found lots of great birds. I took them to some of my favorite places like Sweetwater Wetlands, Gilbert Water Ranch in Phoenix, and the Kanoa Ranch Pond in Green Valley. We're having an eruption of Lawrence's goldfinches, which we saw in several places and which were a lifer for Deb. She reciprocated by giving me directions to three long-eared owls located in Catalina State Park, just north of here. David and I braved a very cold, well, um, chilly February morning to find them, but wow, they were beautiful.
first Saturday in March down at Patagonia Lake, that's southeast of Tucson, about um, an hour and a half, with some of my girl camper friends. So shout out to Rhonda and Laurie and Robin. We did a birding boat tour around the lake and saw the double-crested cormorants in their breeding plumage. There are lots of eared grebes on the lake as well, but only one male in breeding plumage. Now quick, look this guy up online. Male eared grebe breeding. How handsome is he? We also spotted six or seven sandhill cranes that day that were rare in Patagonia. They flew around the lake at dusk, perhaps maybe looking for a place to roost. Finally, in mid-March, I spent a few days in Portal, which is becoming an annual spring break tradition for me. It was that trip last year that really spurred me to start this podcast. This year, my friend Janice was starting to camp and bird her way across the country. Her first night stop was Portal, Arizona, and I invited myself along to spend the first night with her. We had a bit of trouble finding a campsite but ended up staying at her Martyr Campground, and that's the same place where I saw the American Dipper last year. After we set up camp, we drove down to Dave Jasper's new place, which I hadn't visited last year. What a yard he has! He does great work creating natural-looking feeders and spaces for birds. At one point, I counted over 30 Gamble's quail, plus a confusing to Janice and I juvenile song sparrow. Many, many lesser goldfinches, Eurasian collared doves, cardinals and paraloxias, some yellow-rumped warblers in absolutely gorgeous spring plumage. I mean, that yellow was neon. Two curve-billed thrashers chasing each other around and around the yard and a couple of black-throated sparrows there as well. As the sun started to go down, we headed back up the mountain a bit, back to our campsite. It's all dirt roads up there, so imagine our surprise when three SUVs came roaring down the mountain, billowing dust in their wake. As Janice slowed down and pulled the car over to the side, I saw something small run across the road and freeze at the side of the road just in front of us. To me, it looked like a baby quail at first, but Janice shouted, that's a Montezuma quail! And I immediately knew she was correct. It's the same bird I've seen hundreds of times on my Finding Birds in Arizona book, but a hundred times smaller than the book cover. It's no wonder that I've never seen it. I was looking for a slightly bigger bird. It had the beautiful facial markings that Pete Dunn's Essential Field Guide companion calls a distinctive, almost arresting harlequin patterned party mask. We just couldn't believe our luck.
like most of the other five quail species in the U.S., namely northern bobwhite, scaled California gambles and mountain quail, Montezuma quail is a small to medium chicken-like bird or galliform. They all share feet that have three long clawed toes for digging and strong bare legs meant for walking. None of them have that fourth backward toe like pheasants and chickens do. And unlike some of the other quail, the Montezuma quail doesn't have a crest or a plume. Dunn says that the male Montezuma quail looks like a rock dressed for Mardi Gras. The females are mostly a leafy brown and are somewhat bug-eyed in appearance. They measure about 8 to 9 inches in length compared to the 10 inches of the Gamble's quail that I'm used to. And when flushed, the Montezuma quail flies only short distances of 30 to maybe 100 feet. Some of the colloquial names that have been given to Montezuma quail include Mern's quail, Harlequin quail, black quail, painted quail, crazy quail, fool's quail, and quetone pinta, which is basically painted quail in Spanish. So as the dust started to settle, I pulled out my cell phone to take a picture and of course the bird ducked into the grass at the edge of the road. We sat in the car looking for it, but we saw zero movement in the grass and figured that it must be hunkered down. So I quietly got out of the car and slowly walked around the grass to try and flush it. We were hoping there might be more than one bird as they often travel in small groups. It took about 30 seconds of walking to flush the bird, and he was a good 20 feet from where we had last seen it, and I flushed it even further up the hill. It was just one single bird. What a great sighting, though. I could not stop smiling about it all night, and even now, I'm still smiling at the thought of it. How about you, Janice? So why is this bird so special? Well, for one, it's a Mexican species, Sirtunix Montezuma. And in the United States, it lives only in southern Arizona, southwest New Mexico, and in two areas of Texas, the Edwards Plateau, which is in the central Texas hill country, and Transpecos, or that western part of Texas I call the heel. It's kind of between the panhandle and the, like, I don't know what they call it, but the foot. I think of it as the foot, the toe that's pointing out in Texas, that bottom part of the store. Well, the Transpecos is that um, heel part that comes up. The Montezuma quail has a very narrow, specific habitat, and so it's pretty difficult to see unless you're right between the desert lowlands and the forested elevations where there are dry, grassy hillsides and scattered scrubby trees like live oaks or junipers. Even then, the bird is an expert at just freezing in place and being camouflaged. In his book, Dunn says that the bird spends most of its life not being seen. 
And I've been looking for Mr. Montezuma since about 2007. So after 15 years, I finally found it with the help of Janice, of course. Because these birds are so elusive, not a whole heck of a lot of is known about them. I did some digging and found just a couple of recent research articles on them. One of the main reasons there's not a lot of study is because they're difficult to catch and tag. There was a whole article comparing different methods of Montezuma quail capture. Researchers Hernandez, Harvison, and Brewer compared the use of hand nets, trained pointer dogs, funnel traps, and mist nets, but ultimately recommended using a variety of techniques to obtain enough individual birds for study. Another study by Green et al. fit the tiny quail with modified backpack radio transmitters and then used the Judas method where they released the tag bird back into the same area where it was originally found to detect other birds that the now tagged bird associates with. The backpack works better than a traditional loop transmitter that go around the necks as the birds don't get the backpack caught like they do the loop. According to the book, Texas Quail, Ecology and Management, published by Texas A&M University, Montezuma quails subsist on food and, wa and water found in the underground corms of wood sorrel and the tubers and rhizomes of sedges and onions that are most frequently associated with the habitats of pine and oak. Sibley's Guide to Bird Life and Behavior shows a close-up of the Montezuma quail beak. It's a short chicken-like beak that has tiny little serrations on the front tip of the lower mandible or the lower bill. These serrations are most likely for cutting grasses like wolf's tail, plains love grass, and tanglehead that the birds love. In 1990, the Wilson Bulletin published an article by Albers and Galbach that studied the habitat of birds in the Texas group. They found in the spring that when the weather is wetter, the birds tend to stick to the slopes, presumably because the soil is drier there and easier to dig for those wood sorrel corms. In the summer, when their diet switches to mostly insects like beetles, grasshoppers, and ants, the Montezuma quail heads for flatter, lower ground. Albers and Galbach also concluded that the birds choose their sites based on the amount of hiding cover and the length of the grasses with the taller grasses being preferred over short grasses. And by short, they mean overgrazed grasses. In the green study I mentioned a few minutes ago, the one where they fitted the birds with the backpack radio transmitters, they found that the quail moved on average about six hectares during the study duration. And that's just under 15 football fields. Keep in mind that these birds seldom fly and they walk the vast majority of that distance. So also they found a couple of outliers in that study and they had one male that traveled over 11 kilometers or about seven miles during the study. And that's a lot of walking for one little bird. As you can imagine, a bird that is so habitat specific might be in grave danger these days. And you would imagine correctly, especially those in Texas. 
In Arizona and New Mexico, Montezuma quail are still considered game birds, and we'll get to that in a minute. But there's been a closed season on Montezuma quail in Texas for at least 30 years. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department suggested opening a season in 2003 with a limit of two birds per hunter, but there was a massive public outcry against the idea, so it was scrapped. And back in Arizona, one four-year study found that populations of Montezuma quail were reduced 75% each year with most of that reduction directly attributed to hunting. As I mentioned earlier, there are only a few places where these birds can be found. There's a large population in Arizona, a somewhat smaller population in New Mexico, and then there are two fairly small populations in Texas, one on the Trans-Pecos and the other at the Edwards Plateau. Studies have shown that the populations were once very long ago connected demographically, but are now separated and population sizes have decreased over the last million years. The Arizona and New Mexico groups are relatively homologous, meaning they are genetically similar to each other. Mather explains that the Texas populations are smaller and more isolated resulting in more inbreeding. And so let's look at what's wrong with that. Overall, larger populations tend to have greater numbers or greater instances of damaging mutations. Uh, they have greater numbers of all mutations, but for our sake, we're gonna just consider the damaging ones, okay? The ones that might be fatal to the bird or present some kind of disability that they might not get to breeding age. So larger populations tend to have greater numbers of these mutations, but the smaller populations are more susceptible to the effects of the damaging mutations due to things like inbreeding. And the way this works is that a small population means that when a damaging mutation occurs, it's more likely to be passed on because there are fewer choices for mates. And an increase in the chance that the mate might also carry that damaging mutation. It increases the chance that the offspring will be homogenous, having two identical genes for that defect that assures that that defect will be expressed in the offspring. The result of the expression is that the birds will have the defect and are far less fit for survival. This doesn't happen in larger populations because there are more choices of mate and less chance that two birds with the same damaging gene will mate. As I've stated before, and to bring things here full circle, Montezuma quail are diet and habitat specialists. They require a very specific habitat to survive, and they have a fairly limited wandering range in their lifetimes. They don't migrate or even walk more than a few miles from where they're born, so they are stuck in that habitat. As their habitat declines and degrades from human invasion or urbanization, livestock overgrazing, or climate change, the different Montezuma quail groups, especially those in Texas, 
are becoming more and more fragmented. As a whole, Montezuma quail are experiencing genetic decline, but the Texas populations are declining much more rapidly, are more inbred, and much less genetically diverse than the New Mexico or Arizona populations. And this should be cause for concern. Continued habitat decline could result in extirpation of Montezuma quail in Texas. And I should add that while there are larger populations in Arizona and New Mexico, the future could also lead to extirpation and extinction for the Montezuma quail. Partners in Flight gives the Montezuma quail a rating of 13 out of 20 on the Continental Concern Score, which places it in the highest moderate conservation concern category. So it's not high, but it's in that moderate range. It's at the 13 is the highest level of moderate. The quail are also listed as a species of concern in the arid borderlands region by the Sonoran Joint Venture Bird Conservation Plan. So clearly, this little bird has some environmental pressures on it. In Texas, the bird isn't getting as much attention or management as other quail because of its small range and perceived lack of contribution to the economy. The AgriLife extension of A&M suggests that some measures taken to protect other quail, though, will benefit Montezuma quail, like controlled burns and reduced livestock grazing. So if you'd like to help the Montezuma quail, one thing you can do is donate to the Borderlands Restoration Network. They work to preserve and restore the Montezuma quail habitat. I'll put a link in the show notes for the website. Hopefully we can continue the diversity of this little bird for generations to come. Finally, I want to tell you about Buzzsprout. I use Buzzsprout to upload this podcast to where you found it today. If you're thinking about starting your own podcast, and you should because you have a voice too, check out Buzzsprout. That's B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T, Buzzsprout. If you use the link in the show notes, you can get a $20 Amazon gift certificate for free when you sign up for a paid account. Plus, you'll support Hear Birdie Birdie Birdie, your favorite birding podcast. Well, that's it. Another episode of Here Birdie 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 in the can. I'm so glad that you could join me today. Before you go, could you do me a favor? Do you have a minute to add a buck or two to fund my chai tea addiction at buymeacoffee.com slash HBBB? Those initials are for Here Birdie Birdie Birdie. Tai Chi helps me to stay focused during the time I research, write, record, and edit this podcast. I would really appreciate it. Okay, all you birders out there, say it with me. Until next time, stay birdie and nerdy, my friend.